Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Sharissa Fong. My presentation this afternoon, I changed my mind today as I was going through the day and I think it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind. So I've changed my mind, but because I feel impressed that this message may be one which we can be blessed by as well. I feel that the Lord would like us to have some time thinking about His love for us this afternoon. All right, would you bow your heads with me as we open with a word of prayer. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us back here this afternoon to study the Bible. And as we do, Lord, we just invite the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, Lord, to be present in our midst and to speak to our hearts. I pray that you would help the story that we study today come alive. And may we gain a blessing, may we gain a fresh picture of the love of God for us this afternoon. And may this picture charge us, so fully charge us, so that we will go out and serve because we know that you love us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. They say that one of the best possessions a person can have is a true friend. I have a plaque that sits beside my bed back home in Australia, and it says this, Among the richest gifts our God in heaven sends, none could ever measure the value of our friends. And isn't it true? Isn't friendship such a beautiful thing that we get to experience? And when I mention friendship, and I'm talking about the Bible, what two friends instantly spring to your mind? The friendship of David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan were more than just Facebook friends. They were best friends. And the Bible tells us that one day, David and Jonathan, they were out together and they were walking in a field. And Jonathan, he turns to his friend. And this is what he says. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. He said, And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so friends, there in that field, David pledged to Jonathan that whatever happened to him, if he were to die, he would look after his family. You see, friends, David recognized that friendship wasn't an opportunity, but it was a responsibility. And the Bible tells us that when Jonathan died on the battlefield with his father, David grieved for Saul, but he grieved even more so for Jonathan. In fact, you may recall, he said, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were wonderful. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. That is how closely bonded he was to his brother, Jonathan. And friends, after 20 years... The Bible tells us after 20 years uh, since Jonathan died that David woke up one morning. Everything was calm in his kingdom. His enemies were conquered. He was at the pinnacle of his success. And he wakes up and notice what he asks in first, sorry, 2 Samuel 9 verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone left who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for whose sake? Jonathan's sake. You know what? 
I think that all of us should be waking up every single day and asking, is there someone that I can show kindness to, the kindness of God to, because we have been blessed by God. Amen? And by the way, this morning as we were listening to the presentation that Jennifer shared, and she mentioned the word chesed, and she talked about how this word uh, describes God's mercy. It's a Hebrew word, describes mercy. It is grace as well. It, it talks about us getting what we don't deserve and God withholding what we do deserve. And here this chesed and this mercy describes God's unconditional, God's ever faithful love for us. It cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. Uh, it cannot even be repaid. It is not deserved. And so friends, when David woke up this morning, he asks, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show this chesed to, this kindness, this mercy and grace to? Notice that David does not say, is there anyone worthy in the house of Saul? He asks if anyone exists. Is there anyone that exists that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Friends, God wants to show kindness to us, not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus Christ. I thought there would be an amen. <laughs> Let me keep going. So let's continue to follow the story. 2 Samuel 9, verses 2 and 3. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Friends, here breaks one of the most beautiful stories you will find in all the Bible. Imagine the emotion that must have stirred in David. David's heart as he discovers that there was still a son of his best friend, Jonathan, who was still alive. I can't help but wonder, though, if Ziba was trying to caution David when he gives his response, almost trying to give him some subtle counsel here. Yes, your majesty, there is a son who is still alive, but he's not very kingly. Well, at least he wouldn't really fit in too well with our court. Well, you see, he's crippled. He's lame. Who was this son of Jonathan? What was his story? The Bible tells us, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. The name Mephibosheth, does anybody know what it means? Someone, someone knows. Son of shame, or to scatter shame, or literally shameful breath. Imagine having a name that almost meant bad breath. As a little boy, uh, Mephibosheth had lived in abundance. He grew up in a palace. His grandpa was the king. His dad, a prince. But one day when he was just five years old, a man bloodied and bleeding from a brutal battle ran into the palace gates and he screamed words that turned his whole world upside down. He said, King Saul and his sons are dead. 
And with those words, suddenly the palace was a place of pulsing panic. Women wept. Servants were white with fear. A new king meant that heads were going to roll. Everybody knew that's what it meant. And suddenly everyone in the house of Saul has a death sentence hanging ominously above their heads. And so the Bible tells us that in the midst of all of this panic, there was a nameless nurse. And I've just put some pictures here to help you catch the picture. A nameless nurse comprehending the situation. She sees five-year-old Mephibosheth standing there. And so she goes, she picks him up and she takes off and she runs for her life and his. But it so happened that along the way, she fell. In Australia, we have a theme park. It's called Dreamworld. I don't know if you've heard of it. And at Dreamworld, there is a ride at that park. This is it right here. It's called the Giant Drop. And uh, basically, you sit in a tray. And, well, it's got nice seats on it and seat belts, okay? You sit in a tray, and they hoist you up, and you, you go up this tall tower, and you take in the view of Queensland, the Gold Coast. It's beautiful. And you sit there, and they play nice music to you, but then at an unexpected moment, that tray just drops. And they tell you, before you go up, when the tray drops, don't look down, because you'll get whiplash. Do you call it whiplash here? All right. Well, I know that that is true because I did look down <laughs> when I, I did try that, that ride once. But the point here is she's running and in her mad haste, she had a giant drop. There was a giant fall and in that fall, she trips and falls and that in that fall, Mephibosheth's whole life is changed. And some of us know what that's like. Sometimes it's a phone call or an email, a conversation your whole world can be changed just like that. We know what it's like to be dropped, to be dumped, to be betrayed by someone or something that we have placed our trust in. This world has a thousand ways of crippling us, something serious. And so verse four, back to our story in 2 Samuel 9, the king said to him, this is to Ziba, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir and the son of Emil in Lodabar. I love how David responds to his servant. He says, where is he? The state of Jonathan's son was of no consequence to him. He says to Ziba, effectively, I didn't ask you how he was. I didn't ask you what condition he was in. I, asked, I didn't even ask you if he was worthy. I asked you if he exists. Where is he? And now the plot thickens just a little bit because he tells him he's living in Lodabar. Trust me. You wouldn't want your ministry base to be based in this place. If you were to put Mephibosheth's address into your GPS, it would literally lead you into the middle of nowhere. The word Lodabar in the Hebrew literally means pastureless. It was a place, it was the worst kind of real estate, and this was where the last surviving relative of Jonathan, the last surviving son, he was hiding alone, crippled and broken in this secluded hovel. 
Why was he here? He was here because he was afraid. He was afraid that if the king found him, the king would kill him. And so it is today that we could write Lodabar across this world because it is a hopeless place without the Lord. And many people stay away from God for the same reason Mephibosheth hid from the king. They're afraid that if they come to God, they will get what they deserve. Verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. Friends, I don't think Mephibosheth comprehended it at first. In fact, I wonder if he ever fully comprehended it at all. When he first learned that the king had found him, he was stricken with terror. And so crippled and completely helpless, I imagine that when he was summoned, he was carried. He was carried into the presence of the king because he was lame. And as he comes into the presence of the king, they put him on the floor. And when he comes before the king, he throws himself face down upon the floor at the king's feet, expecting at any moment for a knife to come along and strike off his head and carve him up like a turkey. But then... To his complete surprise, the greatest king of all the kings on the earth, the king of Israel, he speaks his name. There was no judgment in his voice. He speaks his name with compassion. And I wonder as I read this story if perhaps David, when he saw Mephibosheth come in, if perhaps his own heart may have jumped just a little bit looking at him and he might have thought, oh, he has his father's eyes. Look at his face. He reminds me so much of his dad. He reminds me so much of Jonathan, the same mannerisms. And notice what happens. Verse 7. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table on Mondays. <laughs> you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? David speaks to him, fear not. Fear not, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give to you what you don't deserve. I am going to give you mercy and grace. And why? For the sake of your father, Jonathan. Friends, this is a picture of what God does for us, what he says to us. He shows to us his loving kindness, his mercy, and his grace extends to you and to me, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And Mephibosheth, as he is sitting there on the floor before David, he just can't get it. He says, why me? I'm just a crippled, dead dog. I'm no good to anybody. And I've traveled some countries, and, and you see dogs on the streets in some of the islands. They're not treated very well. They look really sick. Well, Mephibosheth, he doesn't even say, I'm a living dog, or I'm a sick dog. He says, I'm as good to you as a dead dog. He says, I can't lead your armies. I can't take care 
care of your gardens. I can't, I can't add to your glory. I can't build buildings for you. I can't even walk your dog for you. I'm as good to you as a dead dog. Perception is everything. Mephibosheth felt himself, he felt of himself that he was a dead dog, and so he lies on the floor like he is one. Two quotes come to mind when I think about this, because I think that when we come to Jesus, we feel the same way. When we come into his presence and we, we are amazed at the beauty of his perfectness and his righteousness, his character, his holiness, I don't know about you, but I feel terrible. I feel wretched. I feel dirty. I do not feel like I belong there. Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, the closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes, for your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. Who am I that the king should bleed and die for? But while the voice of sin is loud, the voice of forgiveness is louder. And God's throne is mercy, not marble. Listen to what this quote says. God rejoices to bestow his grace upon us, not because we are worthy, but because we are so utterly unworthy. Our only claim to his mercy is our great need. And Mephibosheth as he speaks, when David heard him call himself a dead dog, do you think he bought it? Not in your life. Friends, as far as David was concerned, that was a lame excuse. Yes, all right. Let's keep reading verse 9. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house and you therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat but Mephibosheth your master's son shall eat bread at my table always now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants then Ziba said to the king According to all that my Lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. When Ziba returned to the palace from Lodabar with Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, David literally rolls out the red carpet for him. King's fellowship King's favor, king's fortune, king's family, king's friendship. It is all given to Mephibosheth. David treats him like a prince. That is why I believe he is the Old Testament prodigal son. In the words of David Swindle, he said, if it is, this story that is, in my opinion, the greatest illustration of grace in the Old Testament. Because David, he parts with a large and valuable estate, and he invites this crippled, lame, uneducated fugitive who deserves nothing but death to join him for dinner at his royal banqueting table, not just once, but for the rest of his life. Try to get your mind around that. It didn't matter what anybody thought. This was an affront to the culture of the day. 
And by the way, four times in the story, you read it, four times we are told that his needs, David says, his needs will be met from my table, from the king's table. This means that it implies that every need was going to be met from the king's resources. This means that, friends, when you and I are part of God's family, we are his responsibility. He takes care of us, and he provides for our needs. And now comes the ending of this story right here in verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Now, when I read this in the English, I think, okay, nice finish to the story. But guess what? There are two words that are used for lame in this story. The first word that we find is that one right there, nakeh. I probably said that wrong, but I tried to make it sound Hebrew. That word, this is a word that means lame, yes, but it means more than that. It can mean smitten, literally maimed or dejected. And it is found in the Bible three times and twice in reference to Mephibosheth. But guess what? When you come to the last verse here in verse 13 and you come to that word lame, it is not the same word. It is a different word. Guess what it is? You would never guess. It is this one right here. I'm not even going to try and say it. What does this word mean? Yes, this one means lame. (laughs) What's the point? The point is, David took away his shame. There's no shame. Yes, he's lame, but the shame is gone. Thanks to David, Mephibosheth's future was not what it used to be. He is taken from nothing, and he has given everything. And friends, this is what is so amazing about God's grace. It elevates us. The kindness of God does not patronize us. Kindness, true kindness is helping someone who can never help you back, who can never return the favor. That is how God has been kind to us. That is how he loved us. And I wish that I could have been there in that magnificent moment when David said the words that he did to Mephibosheth. But guess what? He is a picture of the grace and adoption that we receive into the family of God. Let me explain that just a little bit more by reading Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? This is like the New Testament expansion on the word chesed. God's loving kindness toward us. And if there is someone that knows what this is like firsthand, I met somebody like this in PNG, Papua New Guinea, just last month. To give you an idea, here we are over here somewhere. This is where I come from. Papua New Guinea is right there, right above Australia. 
When I was in Papua New Guinea, I was there to speak at PAU, our Pacific Adventist University, for their staff week of orientation. But that was great, but it wasn't the highlight. The highlight was meeting these people right here. The man on my right, his name is Philip. And Philip told me his story. It is an incredible story. Philip was one of the most notorious criminals in PNG. He was in prison, sentenced for 18 years to prison for, uh, for stealing half a million dollars uh, from the international airport and for murdering a guy. He shot a guy. He was part of a group and they shot someone. And so they sentenced him for 18 years to prison. While he is in prison, he manages to escape. And while he's on the run, his brother is the head of the police force in PNG. And so his brother writes a note and gives it to their mother. When Philip came home to visit his mother while he's on the run, she hands him the note. He reads the note and it says, surrender or we will kill you. Philip took the note, turned it over, and he said, when you come for me, bring one coffin because I will either kill you or you will kill me and we'll put one of us in it and our mother will mourn over us. Then he kept going. Well, while he's on the run, he got very sick. He got a severe form of TB. He ended up losing a lot of weight, and so he turned himself over to the authorities, and they put him in ICU. He was, and I don't know how to put this in pounds, but he was 37 kilos. That's how much weight he had lost. He's on what he felt was his deathbed, and he told me, Sharissa, while I was on my bed, I had a vision. It was not a dream. I was wide awake. I had a vision, and in vision, I saw Jesus on the cross of Calvary, and I saw the two thieves on either side, and God asked me, I felt like God was asking me, which thief are you? Which one do you identify with? And he said, Lord, if you save my life, I will serve you in mission work. Well, after that, his condition did not seem to improve, and he felt like there were dark clouds on his horizon, so he calls his wife to come closer. On his deathbed, he had no friends. Only Maureen, that's his wife, stood beside him. And he said to her, Maureen, I don't think I'm going to make it. There are dark clouds on the horizon. And he began to take off his wedding ring. They got married when he was 18 and she was 19. And he wanted to give it to her. And he said, if someone asks, you can tell them you were once married to a man named Philip Vaki. As he's pulling his ring off, she pushed it back on his finger. And she said, no, God is going to save your life. Well, the next part of the story, she tells. What happened was the heart monitor screen suddenly had a flat line and a long beep. The nursing staff came running into the room to try and revive him. They worked on him for an hour and could not bring him back. After one hour, they pronounced him dead, and they left her in the room to grieve over him. And as she's grieving over him, she was grieving for about 20 minutes, she said, when suddenly she heard this ding. Ding. They'd forgotten to take one of the pulse monitors off. She looks up at the screen and she sees that line has movement again. So she calls the nurses. They come running in, reverse the process, and Philip was brought back to life. Uh, after a couple of days, they sent him home. He gets home and he's trying to, they want him to get stronger so they can put him back in prison. While he's at home, God speaks to him, still small voice, Philip, I have saved your life. Now I want you to get rid of your black magic. In Melanesian culture, they appeal to this thing and to help them in what they do and their robberies and whatever they do, and that's what he'd been doing. So he told his wife, Maureen, this is where it is. She went in the backyard, burnt it, gone. Two days later, God speaks to him again. Philip, 
I'm glad you got rid of your black magic. Now I want, rid of, I want you to get rid of your gun. Philip, I don't know if you understand guns, I don't, but he had an MK-16 Bushmaster with 120 rounds. And he didn't want to get rid of the gun. This is the gun he had used in his crime. This is the gun that the family wanted to keep to protect them from everyone else and, and their property. But God had told him, get rid of it, because he is his strength. So he called his wife, said, we got to get rid of the gun. So she got rid of the gun. And he tells me today, he said, I traded my MK-16 for John 3.16. <laughs> um, so he got, he got rid of the gun. And as he started to get a little stronger, the authorities got word of it. And they said, we want to put him back in prison. And it was a very hard moment for him to say goodbye to his wife. He had four children with her. The youngest was just a couple of, wasn't very old at all. And I can't remember how old. That's why I just said not very old. And uh, he said, I waved my family off for what I thought would be the last time. And I'm in the back of the police wagon and I'm saying, why, why, why? Lord, you saved my life to put me back in prison. He gets to prison and shortly after he's back in prison, as time goes on, God speaks to him again. Philip, I'm glad you got rid of your black magic. I'm glad you got rid of your gun. Now I want you to get rid of the other woman. He'd been having an affair with another woman for 16 years. He's been married to this lady for 20 years. He had been a womanizer, but he'd been unfaithful to his wife. But this particular woman had been in his life. And so he, he took a piece of paper and he wrote on it, Dear so-and-so, what we are doing is wrong. The Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. Maureen is my wife and the mother of my children. It is best you go on your way. When his wife came into the jail to visit him, he gave the note to her and asked her to deliver it to this woman. She gladly delivered it to that woman. And uh, when you talk to Philip, he said, he said to me, you know, God has blessed our marriage. He said, marriage is a holy institution. This lady is the most beautiful lady I know. She has stood by me when she has every reason to leave. She has, I abused this woman, but she has just been so faithful to me. And when I listen to Philip tell me his story, I look at Maureen and I think she's an amazing woman too. But God has blessed them. Time goes on and Philip gets word that there was another man in the jail that was terrified of him. In fact, this man wanted to be locked up in another cell. And so Philip found out the reason why. And the reason why was because this man was the man that had provided the evidence that had gotten him convicted of the crime he had been guilty of in the first place. And he was afraid if Philip found out, Philip would kill him. And Philip was angry when he found this out. But God spoke to him, Philip, I'm glad you got rid of your magic. I'm glad you got rid of the gun. I'm glad you got rid of the other woman. Now I want you to forgive your enemies. Philip didn't want to do that. He wrestled with God on this. But then he remembered the prayer of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I said, all right. So he goes to this guy in the prison. Hey, come here. The guy comes a little closer. He reaches through the bars and he grabs him and he pulls him close. And he says, brother, I forgive you. We put the past behind us. As long as you are in this prison, I will protect you and I will defend you and I will make sure everybody here looks out for you. He forgave him. You know what's amazing about that is when he did become an Adventist a couple of years later, that he was able to witness to this guy and he became a Seventh-day Adventist. Time goes on and God continues to speak to Philip. While he is in the jail, 
There's a man in Australia, this is him right here. He has a ministry called Operation Food for Life, Dennis Perry. When you meet Dennis, his face shines. He loves Jesus. He's so humble. They go and they feed a group, a community that live on a rubbish dump in PNG. It's a place that... Many people can't go because it's so dangerous, but they let Dennis come in with his team. When, when Dennis goes into a hospital to feed the patients, he walks in and they have extra food and he says, we come in the name of Jesus. This is not a holdup. It's a hope up. <laughs> and then they go around and they pray with people on death's row who are dying. And sometimes they pray and then shortly after that person passes away. But Dennis is working with Maureen and he asks Maureen, where's your husband? She says, oh, he's in prison. And so Dennis gives to Maureen a little book called The Great Controversy. Give this to Dennis. Sorry, give this to Philip. So she does. Philip gets it, looks at it, puts it on the shelf. But as God is speaking to him, God starts leading him. Our students from PAU University go and preach in the prison every Sabbath. Philip starts listening. And one day God speaks to Philip again. Philip, keep my commandments. I am keeping your commandments. I got rid of the other woman, he says. No, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Philip says, all right, if you can prove to me which day is the Sabbath day, I'll keep it holy. And God showed him a verse, Luke 4.16, and shows how Jesus went to church every Sabbath. And that was it. He said for him, his, the scales on his eyes fell off, and it was like he could see clearly. And so, friends, in 2004, Philip became a baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist church and gave his heart to Jesus in baptism. He said to me, Sharissa, I know what God's amazing grace is because he saved me. I think he saw his story and I think, yeah, that's amazing. God rescued you, but guess what? I am as good to God as a dead dog as well. I have no righteousness in me to offer to him. But he offers to me still his loving kindness, his mercy, and his grace because of my relationship to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I think it's amazing. And... Um, just to finish this story, because I have nearly run out of time, but Philip and Maureen today run an orphanage called The Sanctuary. It's operated by Food for Life, where they look after 30 children from broken homes. Some of these kids saw mum and dad murdered in front of them. There's a little girl, she's 10. He said, Mary, step forward, hold up your arm. She held up her arm. There was this big lump. Dad broke her arm when he was drunk one night. Another guy in the back there, dad set the house on fire. There are these children from broken homes. Philip and Maureen take them in, and they become mom and dad to them. They give them a place to call home, be mom and dad, and they help them get an education. He said, sometimes we don't know, we run out of money, we don't know where we're going to get the money from to feed our family. And so he says, we call the family, and we might have just enough money to cook two pots of rice. And we come together and we pray. And then he says, we always cook two pots. We pray over the meal, and then the children line up, and I start serving. He says, I serve the first pot till it's half full. Then I put the lid on it. Then I start serving the second pot, and I'll serve till it's half full, and I put the lid on it. Then I open the first pot, and it's full again. 
God provides for their needs. Isn't this the same as the story of David and Mephibosheth? He would eat from the king's table continually. When we become part of his family, he takes care of us. And I just think of this story, I think of Mephibosheth, and I'm just reminded again of the great condescension of Jesus. He, to be a child of God, means that we are constantly receiving of God's grace. Jesus left the courts of heaven to come down to this dark world where he would live and work among us and where he would die for us so that one day we could experience something that we do not deserve. We could experience an eternal home in heaven with him. And this is one picture I want you to get before I close. And it is this coming up right here. I'm going to put a picture on the screen. This is a picture of the royal banquet in England. There's the queen. And I want you to imagine something in your mind's eye. It's King David, and he has set a royal banquet. It's shortly after he's met Mephibosheth. The table is set, and in come the dignitaries. There's Joab, the commander of the army. There's the scribes. There's the priests. Then in come the sons of David, and everybody is dressed and decked out in their splendid regalia and just look impressive. And then the king walks in, and everybody is standing And they're waiting for the king to sit so that they can maybe say grace and the meal can begin. But he doesn't sit. He stands. And as he stands, everybody gets a little bit nervous because they don't know what's going to happen. And they hear this dragging sound coming from down the hall. The doors open at the back of the room. And it's Mephibosheth. He can't walk to the table. He's being carried to the table. His feet are dragging on the floor. They carry him and they put him at his seat. He sits down. And when he sits down, David sits down and the meal begins. When he sits at the table, the tablecloth of the king covers his lame feet. And he sits at the table like everyone else, like one of the king's sons. And as he sits near David, they're talking. What do you think they talked about? They're talking about their mutual friend, Jonathan. When when we get together, we talk about our mutual friend, Jesus. Amen? And uh, I think about this picture, and I just am overwhelmed by God's love for me, by God's amazing grace, which he has shown to me and to you. And I just realize all of you that evangelism is really just one beggar telling other beggars about where they found bread. And I pray that as you keep this picture in your mind, that you will remember that this is our true standing before God, And God's kindness to us is something that if you meditate on it day by day, it will fully charge your batteries. So you will just, you can't help but tell other people about the wonderful love that you have found in God. Let us pray. Our loving Father in heaven, as we've just been stepping through this incredible story, We've just been amazed once again at your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness, which you have shown toward us. None of us here are worthy of it, but Lord, we thank you for Jesus who died for us so that we, by believing in him, might have everlasting life. Yes, David showered riches upon Mephibosheth, but those riches were beggarly in comparison to what you have in store for those who love you. And so, Lord, I pray that the love of Jesus might so stir our hearts day by day 
that we will be fully charged, that your spirit will be able to move through us, that we will be the hands of God to others, the feet, your feet to go where you may lead and just your mouth to speak words of kindness to others so that other people can come to know how much they are loved by God as well. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio.
And with me today is Emily Toba. Welcome, Emily, to the program. Hi, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here with you today. Good. Now, Emily, you're here in Bulgaria, but can you tell me where you're from originally? 
Okay, so I'm from Mauritius. It's the beautiful island in the Indian Ocean. Okay, that's yes. off the side of Africa, is exactly, that the one? Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. So can you tell me, how come you are way over here in Bulgaria from Mauritius? Well, as just, uh, just like you said it, uh, here it's a health school. Okay. So I came here to learn more about um, health, lifestyle and good um, information to get about how to get healthy. Okay, so you've come here to learn those things. So what kind of things are you learning? Okay, so basically, um, we're learning about um, good health lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What are the things that in our culture that we have been learning, we have been used to. Okay. But now we are re- realizing that it's not that good mm-hmm. for our health. Mm-hmm. And we are kind of learning again what are the good things to do every day to be healthier. Okay, so what are some examples? For example, well, I've been growing in an, in an Adventist family and I've been hearing a lot about the remedies, about mm-hmm. um, good things that you need to do, exercise, eat healthy food, mm-hmm. um, get fresh air or even be in the sunlight. But here we really learn how it's really healthy for your body and how your body reacts to it, how it's really good for you. So all these things that I've been hearing about... And learning just a little bit, now I'm really going in deep about okay. this information. Okay, so you're getting a, a better understanding exactly in depth for exactly. these things. Mm-hmm. So the things like exercise, like mm-hmm. nutrition. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. How about rest? Okay, rest. Um, yes. Sunlight. Okay. Even the spiritual part uh, mm. behind being healthy. Ah. So this is also an important part that we see here in the health school. Okay, so... Quite a variety of different things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That sounds very good. Mm. Are you actually trying some of these things for yourself? Well, um, I've been here for just a little bit of time. Yes. But I can seriously see that what I've been learning Mm -hmm. and trying to apply little by little in my life Mm -hmm. um, here, it's helping me. For example. Okay. Um, I can see that the food that we are eating here is changing and helping me for the skin. Oh. I've been losing some weight. Wow. I can feel even when we go outside sometimes in the morning to get the sunlight. You have a whole day where you're happier, you feel good. And even about the rest, as I was telling you, mm. at night we go to sleep at a good time. Mm-hmm. And then we have this or this whole time to sleep and wake up in the morning. So you can see the change in your mood, in your how you, you are the whole day. You don't feel tired, you don't feel sad, you, you feel really healthier. So that's how I've been applying it in my, in my life and I can see the difference physically and also spiritually. Okay. So this is only just in the short time that you've been here. You're short noticing time. all of this. Yes. And I know that the best is yet to come. <laughs> that's good. Wow. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's encouraging you learning that and experiencing that so quickly, the changes. Yeah. Noticing. Because um, it's been um, an everyday exercise that we're doing, mm-hmm. like eating healthier, doing the exercises every day, going mm-hmm. to the sunlight and also the friendship, the new people that you meet here sharing these experiences together helping each other 
So all of this just makes you feel better yes. in your body and also in your in your mind to mm-hmm. be spiritually also closer to God mm-hmm. because you have this, this uh, experience, this knowledge that you're gaining. Mm-hmm. And maybe you cannot see it mm-hmm. through the radio, but if you were here with us in Bulgaria, for example, there are people listening to us, like mm. you'll see the environment, which yeah. is really fresh. Mm. We're surrounded by trees, by fresh air, and all of this just helps you a lot. Wow. I think anyone listening to this is going to wish they were here oh, with us yes. so they could experience <laughs> all these benefits. Yeah, that's really, really good. Here. Yeah, now I like what you brought up about the fact that when you're here in a class, and everyone is trying to do these, um, mm-hmm. apply these principles of healthy living. When they're doing that, they can all share and encourage one another. And you've yeah. got like that social support network here exactly. in this class while you're trying to make those changes. Mm-hmm. We're like kind of a community like yes. already because maybe some of us are not really used to exercising. Yeah. So when we go together, we are encouraging the other. Mm. And we sometimes during our breaks, we go outside and play together. Mm-hmm. So this bonding that we have mm-hmm. also help us yes. um, to, to, to exercise these things that we are learning every day. Yes, yes, that's very good. Now, a few times you've mentioned that something about the spiritual connection to these health things. Mm-hmm. Can you go into that a little bit more? Tell me, how, how are you finding that health is having some sort of spiritual link? Can you explain that? Well, there's two, two things that I've been seeing is that first of all, um, I'm from a city in okay. Mauritius and mm-hmm. I've been growing with like a lot of um, things around me like a, an a hectic, active lifestyle. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Here, it's really help you to to relax and mm-hmm. see things di- differently and mm-hmm. have more time deconnected to all these things and connected to God. Okay. So this special time that you have for yourself, mm-hmm. you share it with God and this also helps you. Um, for me, it has been helping me sp- spiritually. But not only that, with all the classes that we have every day, mm. we can see that these remedies that we have been learning about, it's mm. not something that just uh, like men came out with these ideas. Okay. We have been learning that this is the lifestyle that God has been um, creating for us mm. as from the beginning in the Bible. Ah. So these remedies are not something that we have been thinking about. These come from the Bible. And right. you can see that um, how God was loving us so much and he gave us all these things mm. just for us to be healthy. And, um, for example, when you think he created the light, he created the air, he created these vegetables, these herbs and everything for you yes. just to be healthy mm-hmm. and being here and seeing all of that, learning all of this mm. just helps you to understand how God is, is love. Amazing. How, how he just wants you to be healthy yes, and he just wants you to be happy. Wow, that's incredible that you're actually in the whole, the whole health thing. You're actually discerning God's love for us. Yeah, and that's it. Maybe we, we sometimes we, dis- uh, we, we don't associate God and health. Yes. Like not really. How, mm-hmm. how is it? Mm-hmm. But it's all about the same thing. Mm. It's all about the same thing. It's all about his love for us. Mm. And him wanted us to be healthy yes. and to be happy. Yes. So it's all about, it's all about his love for yeah. us. Well, that's very special, very deep too. 
Yes, thank you. That is, you explained that very well. Now, what would you say if there's someone who, who you met, say, who's thinking about their lifestyle and thinking they need to make some improvements? Mm-hmm. What, what would you recommend from your experience? Because you've had some experience in changing your lifestyle, you explained yeah. just before. So what would you say to them in terms of how to get started mm-hmm. or any bits of advice that you might have for those people? Okay, so what, first of all, I think that even if we're not here in a, in a beautiful place like that, a perfect environment, mm-hmm. and we are in another city, mm-hmm. being healthy, it's, a, it's an everyday concern. I want to be better. I want to okay. lose weight. I want to be happier. Mm. So everybody get concerned about it. Yes. The difference is that when I got here, all this information, mm. that really helped me. So ah. the first step would be really to, to read about it read and understand what is the meaning of that how it helps me so it's about getting the knowledge first of all okay mm-hmm. get the knowledge about it and you don't have to come to to a center to get it you have so much books yes the bible itself just explains you all of these mm-hmm. so you can be first of all getting the knowledge okay second thing is that i can see that sometimes we just want to um, learn about this and then change everything radically in our life for some people, that might work. Okay. But I guess, like, for example, for me, just yes. changing everything at a, at a one time would be difficult in, in my daily life when I get out of here. Ah. So I think that it might be like going step by step. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every day, um, doing more exercises, going a little bit more in the sunlight, little by little. Mm. And then you'll see the change and then you'll really... Uh, give importance to that mm. and then you're going to be healthier like little by little but it's not like a big change that you want to do in your life because maybe you get my you, you might get bored or even not see the changes or things like that so it's better to go little by little and then see the change progressively okay okay so taking step by step exactly that's uh-huh. the word step by step uh-huh. oh that's good i think that's very you know practical common sense advice for people yeah. because sometimes it can be very daunting to make a whole lot of changes mm-hmm. but one step at a time exactly yeah well maybe for some people it might work changing everything at a time yeah. it might work okay i'm not saying not but for me um being yeah. in another culture before and getting everything changed at once it might be difficult yes. so if someone is listening and seeing his lifestyle just like mine before maybe it might be step by yeah. step that we should yeah move on okay thank you that's very i think that's very good advice that hopefully some people find helpful well i want to thank you so much for joining me on the program today thank you for receiving me we've been listening to emily toba here in bulgaria she's from mauritius and she's been sharing about her experience with learning about a healthy lifestyle and experiencing the benefits. We have been recording on site here at Bulgaria at the training school associated with Center for Health. I'm your host, Casey Butler, and thank you once again for listening to Healthy Living Around the World. God bless you. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.